Curious State of Mind, a podcast where we'll explore many topics, setting aside certainty and fear and leading with curiosity. Life is a beautiful, painful mystery. And the more I learn, the less I'm certain about. I've learned that asking the hard questions with curiosity leads to healing, adventure, and magic. Let's get curious. I never thought I'd want to see my mom's body after she died. But here I stand at the foot of her hospice bed. Her face looks peaceful, more peaceful than she's looked in years. My brother sets fresh yellow tulips around her pillow and gently into her hands. My sister is outside crying with her kids and my youngest brother is in the kitchen. Our dad is sitting slumped over in the old tan armchair to my right tears glistening the corners of his sad eyes. My best friend stands next to me, helping me bear the weight of this loss. The air is so thick with sadness, it's as if everyone is holding their breath to avoid breathing it in. I look again at my mom's face, her mouth, a sliver of the moon, a slight smile. I feel a moment of relief. For three years, cancer raged through my mom's body, causing pain, pain that is now gone. My pain from watching her suffer lifts and my soul takes a breath. But as quick as the breath escapes, a new hot heaviness lands square on my shoulders. My lungs squeeze under the tight new feeling grief. Hello, Brandy here, and I'm in a curious state of mind. So this episode is pretty rough, meaning it's really sad. Um, I mean, I already started crying in the process of like preparing it because it's just a lot of really hard emotions to bring up when, you know, sometimes when years, a couple years go by of grief, um, you're, you're able to function and not constantly think about the person you lost as, I mean, it's, everyone's different, so I can't say this universally, but for me, you're not constantly thinking about that person and constantly sad. So when you really dive into it, it kind of just opens up those wounds and, and it's just like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Got to really deal with these emotions. Um, so that was what you just heard before this was part of an essay that I wrote. I submitted a short essay titled How to Grieve to a contest last year. Um, I did not win the contest, but I still really am proud of that essay because um, it describes just how I felt when I watched my mom pass away. And there's more to the essay, but it's too long to read as an intro. So that, I just read that little portion and I'm going to go into more of just this complicated feeling of grief, something that you cannot understand unless you experience it. And I did not understand it until it happened to me. So I just really want to talk about it in a way that really not only informs people who haven't dealt with losing someone, I mean, there are people who haven't experienced this, but most people have because people die every day. But I also want to talk about it in a way that's like, you know, normalizing the emotions around it and saying, you know, it's hard and you shouldn't have to get over it quickly. And we all do it differently. We all do grief in our own way. And that's okay. But I want to kind of rewind back to um, the story of where my mom got sick in Idaho at her sister's house. If you recall in my last episode, I didn't 
tell this part of the story where I was in Oregon with my boyfriend and my best friend. And I had a huge anxiety attack, went to the ER, had really just a terrible time. And we were about to head home when I found out my mom, who was visiting her sister in Idaho, her cancer was causing her some pain. And so she went to the hospital there. And my sister had told me it's best if I just fly out there because um, we didn't know what would happen. So, you know, I'm, I'm on my anxiety meds taking Ativan at this point. Um, there was this whole thing at the airport where I lost my Ativan. Um, and I was like relying on it to function at that point. <laughs> um, I can't even remember if I found it or if we had more. I don't know. It's all blur, but it was just very stressful. I think I was, I was so fragile, like any, any inconvenience, I was crying and I'm like freaking out and my best friend and my boyfriend had to calm me down and really took care of me <laughs> during that time. And eventually my, my best friend had to go back home. And then me and my boyfriend hopped on a unexpected flight to Idaho and didn't know what would happen. Um, I'd never been to Idaho before and that my plan was not to go visit it like this with my mom possibly passing away and my, cause my aunt lives out there. She was visiting her sister and, uh, I was planning on to go, going to see her at some point, but there we were, we took a plane to Idaho straight from Oregon. I was terrified and it really took everything in me to just push all my anxiety to the back of my mind and focus on the situation at hand. Like it was out of survival. Like I couldn't, I almost had to like shove it to the side and be like, okay, I have anxiety. It's there, but it's not helping me. It's not helpful right now. And so I really tried my best to focus on my mom, on my family. And Raphael, my boyfriend was there with me right by my side helping me keep it together the whole time. So we arrived at the hospital and apparently the doctors had been trying to clear blockages in my mom's intestines. That was the issue. And we had to wait a couple days to see if things would clear. And so we just waited, lots of waiting. Um, and then it came to a point where it just wouldn't clear. So my mom had to decide to unhook herself from the fluids and the machines and just wait until she passes away. And this was just, this was terrible, terrible, sad. And it was a stressful time. My family is all out there. <clears throat> Most of them were out there. We're all just like, oh, this sucks. And the doctor said she could die within a few hours or a few days. They didn't know. And the employees at the hospital continued to push us to find a place for her to go outside of the hospital um, to be on hospice because they didn't want to keep her at the hospital with this unknown amount of time until she passes. But my mom had nowhere to go. And they also told her she wasn't good at, like in good shape to travel home. It's a very long drive. She couldn't go on a plane. The only place that she could have gone was a facility that would be expensive or my aunt's house, but there wasn't a good space for that because she'd have to, you know, get a hospice bed. And I don't, I'm pretty sure that just, that just wasn't a good option, but not, none of the options were great. Like nothing that was happening had a, a good outcome. And we just kind of didn't know what was going to happen. None of us could figure out what to do. And after a lot of deliberation with family we just continued putting it off, telling the hospital we didn't know where she would go. So we're just trying to delay, delay, delay. And then thinking that she would eventually pass away and we wouldn't have to like figure this out. I mean, this whole time was a blur to me. My, there was my family. We kept meeting together, my aunts. Um, and different family would come and show up and different times. And they would all spend time, you know, with, with my mom and 
we would all just hang out with my mom in her room and she was really highly medicated. Um, so she was kind of loopy. Sometimes she'd be able to join conversation. Sometimes she was asleep. We would watch the bachelorette together. And then whenever we needed a break, some of us would leave and go to dinner and have drinks and try to distract ourselves. And we just tried to make the best of this nightmare. And I just wasn't ready to lose my mom. And I knew that I'd never be ready. So my doctor, my doctor, her doctor recommended that she stay on a liquid diet because of the blockage. We didn't want her throwing up, but she did because she was, you know, basically going to pass away soon. He did say, you know, eat whatever you want, but just know, you know, you might throw up or there could be issues, but because, you know, he was, he wanted her to have a good last days of her life. So it said, go ahead and drink and eat whatever you want. And my mom says, well, margaritas are liquid. And of course, everyone starts laughing, including the doctor. And he literally looked at her and said, hey, you can have whatever you want. And so we all took it seriously. And some of us went to the store, picked up a bottle of pre-mixed margarita, bought some solo cups, brought them to the hospital. And we, my, like, my whole family, extended family, friends of my mom's, we all poured drinks in the room around her bed and we um, spontaneously started toasting to my mom and everyone just saying different things about how amazing my mom is, how loving she is. And it was such a beautiful time. It was so special, especially for my mom. I can tell she just was like, I mean, you know, it's a hard situation. And like this moment was just so sweet. We all had our margaritas. My mom had a margarita and we all were in tears, but like expressing our love for her. And in retrospect, I realized solo cups weren't the best choice for this situation because usually people drink alcohol in solo cups and you're not supposed to be drinking alcohol at a hospital. And there were some of us that were not being careful. We walked out of the room with our cups and we noticed there was two policemen down the hall. And we're starting to feel a little nervous. A nurse came in the room asking, are you guys drinking alcohol? And we all glanced around, not sure what to say. My mom spoke up. No. And she had this cute, innocent smile. No, we're not. And the nurse left. And we all just quickly finished our drinks and hid the margarita mix in the corner. (laughs) And shortly after that, a cop came in the room and asked if we had alcohol again. We all shook our heads. And then he nodded and left. And we all felt super nervous because we weren't sure if we were going to like get in trouble with the law if they found out. Because it it was kind of obvious. Like it was pretty clear that we were lying. But we figured my mom's dying. Like she should be allowed to drink margaritas if she wants. And he did. The doctor did say drink whatever you want when she mentioned margaritas. So (laughs) the next day my mom received a message from the doctor apologizing that the police were questioning our choice of beverage and he confirmed that she was allowed to drink anything she wanted and that apparently a janitor had saw us drinking and called the cops and even the doctor said the janitor would be retrained on how to handle the situation and my mom was so relieved that we weren't in trouble all of us were relieved and the doctor was just totally okay with it saying you know he's like I understand you're dying and you can do whatever you want. And we were all grateful because those margaritas took the edge off during this really difficult time. And it's a funny story. And we all like really just, it's funny to kind of look back on that. So we thought my mom would pass quickly after this, but a couple days went by and she was still hanging on. She was drugged up on pain meds. And um, she would play cards with us sometimes, or we would all play cards while she was sleeping. We ordered pizza. We watched TV. We really did all we could just to be with her. Family and friends continued to travel from all over and visit her. Some people actually came in and did her hair and makeup and gave her a pedicure, and she really loved it. We took her out in a wheelchair sometimes, um, took her out for a walk outside. Um, We went to a little courtyard where she had ice cream. And my nieces performed dances for her. And like, 
this was a really, I mean, it's a really hard time, but at the same time, it was also sweet in the sense where my mom cherished it and I could tell she did. During this time, many people had to say their goodbyes to my mom as they left, including my best friend who actually ended up visiting us. And then my boyfriend, he had to leave too. They all had to end up going back home because they had to work and we didn't know how long we'd be there. My immediate family stayed there. And we just watched many tearful goodbyes. And everyone that left was pretty sure it was their last moments with my mom. And my mom was popular. She had a lot of friends. Like She's like the most loving, welcoming person. And anyone would say that. And so many people came to see her and said goodbye. So we were there for about a week at this point. And one night I couldn't sleep. And honestly, my brain wasn't allowing me to think about life after my mom. So it was like almost my brain was protecting me. So I couldn't fall apart through this really hard time, Uh, even though I already did fall apart in a different way. But I hadn't really thought about life without my mom because I just had to stay present with what was happening. When I'm laying in bed And suddenly it hit me that I would never go to Starbucks again with my mom, which might sound silly, but for years, my mom and I would randomly go to Starbucks and spend hours there. I would work on my homework or write a blog while she worked on her Bible study. And we would just sit there in our happy place, enjoying our chats and getting work done. And suddenly these memories were filling my mind and I just, I cried myself to sleep. And I just, I was wishing I could wake up. Well, the next day, my mom actually seemed more alert and more herself. She didn't need as much pain meds. And we ended up taking her out to the courtyard again. And she actually was able to function and have conversation and laugh and have a good time. And it really felt like similar to our nights where we would have our family nights at home. We'd play games and laugh. Despite the very abnormal situation, the day started to feel normal, like the way we normally would interact. And initially, her blockage in her intestines were caused, were causing her to have very a very protruded belly. But over the last few days, it, it was becoming smaller. And because of all these reasons, my family began discussing the possibility of actually driving her home to California. So we talked to the doctor and we talked to my mom and we planned an escape. It took us another two days or so to get everything approved. We collected all the supplies we needed. And in order to get her home safely and painlessly, we needed a lot of pain meds and other supplies to keep her comfortable. So our family packed up a three car caravan, said our tearful goodbyes to my aunt, my uncle, my cousins, and my mom and dad, sat in the middle seat, the middle row of my sister's Tahoe, and I sat in the back uh, on pain medication duty. My mom was nervous about the journey ahead, but she really wanted to see her house again. A few days before that, she was crying and saying, I just want to go home. I want to see my house again and sit on my porch swing. She'd always taken pride in her home. My whole life, she created such a cozy, safe ambiance in our house. From the pictures on the walls to the rugs and the tile, she added her own personal touch. And recently, she had bought a porch swing, and she just wanted to sit on it one more time. She was ready to go home. It was not an easy journey. There were many emergency bathroom breaks, uh, nausea spells, and moments where my mom's pain meds were not working. But 14 hours later, we drove my mom up to the driveway of our house, helped her out of the car, and immediately she laid down on her porch swing. She made it home. And I want to have a picture of her on her porch swing that day um, in the show notes. And it's the sweetest picture ever. So this was in June, and we were actually able to spend a couple more months with my mom. And we actually went to Starbucks one more time before she passed and she ended up passing September 18th, 2018. 
And this is all like such a difficult, sad story, but I will never forget it. And there's so many sweet moments. So now moving to the day that she passed, I really want to talk about grief itself. And as I explained earlier, grief is a feeling you just cannot understand unless you experience it. And I distinctly remember feeling that relief initially of knowing she wasn't in pain to then feeling a heavy heaviness, like this new weight and burden to my body. And it was like really hard to function with that feeling. It was like mentally, I know she's gone, but my body was still catching up. And I'd wake up sometimes forgetting that she was gone and just having to really process that. I was so sad all the time that I would stay at my sister's a lot because I just felt so much better and comforted being at her house with the girls. And I remember waking up on her couch, just feeling so heavy and sad. I didn't really think I could live anymore. I didn't see a future. I just felt this heaviness. And it was like waking up and realizing that the nightmare is actually your life. I also remember sitting outside in my car in front of my sister's house and kind of remembering memories of my mom being there and just having this emotional breakdown, thinking about how I never imagined life would be like this because you just don't know how it feels to lose someone when you, until you do. And I just never imagined feeling that way. And I never imagined my mom dying so young and that grief would feel so heavy and dark. And during this time when I was initially grieving, I had so many memories just flooding back because when you lose someone, it really, you look back at those memories and just think of how happy you were. And in those memories, you had no idea you would lose that person or you never imagined it. And so I, the one memory that really stuck out to me was how years ago when my sister lived, um, at a different house, me and my mom would always go over to her house and like end up falling asleep while watching TV. We'd always have nights where we'd watch American Idol or some kind of show and we would end up falling asleep and me and my mom would wake up at like one in the morning and we'd like groggily put on our shoes and grab our stuff and walk to the car and it was, it would be dark outside. Like the house was by like really dark mountains and you'd see the moon. And I remember walking with my mom to the car, like, and this happened, you know, quite a few times. And every time I remember just having this, like that eerie, creepy feeling in the middle of the night, when you look out into the darkness, into the dark shadows in the mountains and you look up at the moon and everything kind of feels kind of creepy. And I'd always feel really safe with my mom. And I mean, as we'd get in the car and drive home one in the morning, I would just be like, oh, I'm so glad. Like I have this safe feeling with my mom. And it was never, it was never like my home. That was the safe space. It was my mom. She helped me feel safe. And now that she was gone, it was like this weird feeling that I was alone and I was terrified of the harsh realities of the world. I didn't feel safe anymore. I felt exposed and the darkness was glaring at me, threatening to overwhelm me. And I wasn't sure if I'd ever feel safe again. And I, I never thought I would see life the same ever again. And it was just like this new challenge to learn how to live without my mom and, and try to figure out how to feel safe. Also during this time, I remember being at my boyfriend's house and just crying and randomly telling him memories that were on my mind. I remember just kind of crying out, you know, I want my mom back. I want her back. And suddenly I remember 
moments with her and I would just kind of tell him, it's all kind of a blur, but I remember telling him these memories of moments where my mom and I would just watch TV together and I'd randomly look over at her and just be grateful for her. And I would touch her arm and say, I love you, mom, because I just felt like I, I needed to say it because, you know, I just felt like I knew that someday she would be gone because everyone's mom dies at some point. And so I just wanted to make sure I, I say it every time I, I think it. And she would smile at me and say, I love you too. And she'd just make a cute little smile. And, you know, this is a conversation we would have like many times before she was sick. And I also had another memory that came up during this really emotional time where we would, we drove to Disneyland on a whim. We had season passes and we would do this all the time. But I remember one time distinctly where we just on a random, we're like, hey, like, you doing anything? No, let's go to Disneyland. And so we'd go to California Adventures at like, we'd get there at like three in the afternoon and we'd drink margaritas. We'd go on a roller coaster and then we'd go catch a late movie at downtown Disney and we'd get home at like three in the morning. And I just remember like she was healthy and she was energetic and life was just sweet with her and we had so much fun. And then there was times that she would find dimes on the ground all the time and say they were reminders that God was with her. And she would say, when I die, look for dimes because that's me saying I love you and I'm still with you. And we actually find dimes all the time, especially when we're cleaning because she loved to clean. So we tend to find them when we're sweeping or doing laundry. And I just remember though feeling like those memories come rushing back and just being so sad. And those memories make me... made made me want her back so much more and then I remember hurting my chest and making me mad and angry at life and I just frustrated that life was so painful and I I remember having suicidal thoughts myself not that I would do it but I would picture myself trying to make the pain go away and so I would on my way to work I would see myself jumping from the top of a building and you know I didn't try to think that but it was like my brain trying to say oh like that's an option for pain to stop and it was terrifying so I don't really remember how long this time period was where I was just a mess like I, I couldn't I felt like I just couldn't be okay like anytime anyone asked me how you were doing I was not okay and I was just not only miss my mom, but it, I was existential where I'm just like, we're all going to die. How can I, what's the point of anything? You know, like what's the point of life and why are we, why do we have to go through this pain? Like I just didn't get it. It didn't make any sense to me. Um, and it still doesn't like, you know, I don't have like a little answer as to why these things happen. Um, I've just found ways to deal with it. Like we all do, but during this time, I remember I, mean, I, I was I started seeing my therapist before my mom passed. So I was continuing to see my therapist. And there was a point where I, when I was talking to her that really she said something that really helped me. Um, I mean, she said she says, I don't see the same therapist now, but she had said a lot of different things that helped me um, still to this day. But I remember telling her just like, I want to feel how I felt before my mom passed. And I would tell my therapist that I want to be myself again. I want to feel like myself again. And I was frustrated that I couldn't. I just couldn't feel like my old self. And she told me, Brandy, you need to get to know who you are without your mom. You don't need to try and be who you used to be when she was here. Because now she's not here and you're you're yourself without her and I mean honestly at first hearing that frustrated me because I just wanted her to be here so I can be that person again I wanted to hear her voice I wanted to go get coffee with her I didn't want to be a new brandy without my mom 
but you know, I had no other choice. So I was like, okay. So that honestly, her saying that really helped me try to accept what was happening and who I was and, and with my anxiety and with my, with my grief and everything. And, you know, I was still working. I was a full-time substitute teacher for 10th grade English at this time. And I, and then I was, you know, trying to acclimate my job and also just trying to not allow my grief to keep me from working. But it was hard because my job was hard. My kids were really disrespectful to me and every day was really hard. So there was a couple of weeks where I would just cry on my lunch breaks alone in my classroom. Like they would, you know, they'd all go to lunch and I would just cry and I'd go wipe my eyes in the bathroom and they would come back and I would continue teaching. And I still remember like, the, I think this was like the week after she passed. I remember going on one of my breaks, I went to the break room to get my snack out of the fridge and people would ask me how I was doing. And of course I felt like shit. So I'd be like, you know, I'm not doing great. My mom passed last week and I just, I'm just really down. And, you know, I'd have people say, oh, my mom died 20 years ago and I know it's hard, but you know, you'll get, you'll get past it. And I don't know, like the way they said it sometimes felt very just nonchalant. And I was just like, how are you okay? How is anyone okay? How does anyone accept that people die? And I just was, I mean, I didn't say this out loud, but it was in my head. I was just like, no, like, how are, how are you, how are we all just living our lives knowing that we're going to die and everyone's going (laughs) to die. And I just, my mind was really just running in a really, uh, unhelpful, you know, unhelpful way. But, you know, I couldn't help it. I was so sad and the grief and I just couldn't turn my brain off and I didn't really see any hope. But there's all these little moments where I did feel like, you know, I was getting a little bit better. And one of them was when my therapist said, you know, that I I need to get to know myself without my mom. That really helped me. Didn't fix everything, but it helped. There's another moment where I was at my boyfriend's house and I was feeling just shitty and I was really struggling to sit with it. You know, when you have emotions and they're not comfortable, you don't want to sit with them. You don't want to accept them. You try to avoid them. You distract yourself. But I couldn't even distract myself. I was so sad. And I think I think I was I would because now I'm living here with my boyfriend, but at the time I didn't live here. And my boyfriend had to go to work and or go somewhere. And I was here by myself on the balcony. And I was just like, I feel like shit and I don't know what to do. I'm here by myself. And I need to like sit with these feelings and I decided to look on my phone for an app to help with grief, which, you know, I was like, I don't know how many apps there are. And honestly, there was only like two, but I found an app and it seemed kind of cheesy. It was called, um, vaporize your grief. And I'm like, that sounds extreme. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I was like, well, why not? Let's try it. So I went on to it and basically it's a guided meditation where you're able to control it um, to say certain lines at a certain time. So you can kind of spend as much time as you need on each line that is said. And so I tried it and it, I mean, it took me like 20 minutes and I did it. I was like, we'll just see if this does anything. Like it couldn't hurt because I feel so shitty. Anything would help. So I did it and I actually felt like this weight lift off my shoulder, shoulders, both shoulders. And so I was like, I want to do it one more time, but not that same day. Like I let some time go by and I was still struggling. I was still having a hard time, but I felt a little bit of the weight lift. And then, um, a little bit later I did it one more time and a little bit more weight lifted. So it didn't completely heal me, but it really helped me. Like it was like a really key moment where I felt the hopelessness lift up just a little bit. Um, I mean, I, there was still some way more healing to go. I mean, I'm still healing now. Like when someone dies in our lives, we're always going to be healing from that. But that guided meditation really helped. So I just, I want to bring that up because it's like this random app that's free and 
any, any little bit helps. So that was one moment that really helped me. And then another, a huge moment, this was the biggest moment for me. And I can't remember the order of these, of these situations, because it's all just like, you know, big blur. Another really big situation that felt like so healing for my grief was when I was at my, I was at my work on my lunch break where I normally would cry. And this time I decided to start going online and looking up books about grief and how they can, and how you could heal from it. And I came across this book, um, that, that was about, you know, your loved ones in the afterlife. And as growing up a Christian, I never really thought about it too much, but I kind of read a couple pages of it, the, the preview of the book. And it said that your loved ones heal you, help heal you after they pass. And I was like, I never heard of that before. That's like really weird, but I hope it's true because I feel I'm in so much pain. Well, I get a text from my sister, like literally a couple minutes after that. My sister saying, Brandy, I had a dream last night and mom was in it. And she told me that she was helping you heal, that she was in the process of healing you. And I was like, holy shit. Like I literally just read that in a book and I never even heard of it before. And in that moment, I, I felt another layer lifting off of me, like huge, like, like, like so big that like I went from like hopelessness and emotional breakdown to just like being able to actually feel like I could breathe again. And I felt my mom was close to me and I just was like, I felt like a little bit of peace kind of come in again. And that was like a huge, a huge thing because not only was it kind of this like weird thing where I read about it and then immediately my sister tells me that my mom's healing me, that whole situation, I felt like I was healing. I felt the healing happening and it was just so bizarre. Like it was crazy. And then, so moving through, you know, this, all this, like moving through the grief is just so difficult. Like, I'm, I don't even know if I'm telling this in the right order. I'm just sharing like the moments, like I had so many memories swirling around. I still had a lot of anxiety. Um, and I just remember these distinct moments where I felt like I was healing and, and then, you know, it took some time, like after this job, like that year of school ended and I then started a new job and this was like months later. So my mom passed in September. I finished my, my teaching job till the end of the year till December. And then we had our first Christmas without her. And that was really hard. You know, we were all emotional. My dad just cried all day. And then I started a new job teaching full-time um, special ed ninth grade English. And that was really, really hard as well. So I'm still grieving. I'm, I'm you know, trying to teach these um, kids about English. And they were, it was really it's a huge struggle. And this is when I decided I need to do something physical. I need a regular schedule of exercise because like, I just felt like it was stressful chaos and I needed something to help me deal with the stress that was better than a bottle of wine every night. So I just started randomly doing yoga in my living or not in my um, room at my dad's house to, there's a video called yoga with Adrian, where I'm sure many people have heard of her. She does all these yoga videos online. It's free. And it was helping me. It was helping me to an extent, but my room was small. I was doing it next to a cat box and it was just not the most ideal place to do yoga. So I looked up the local yoga studio. There was only like three and I found one that had a special that was pretty cheap. So I just signed up for it and then showed up the next week and I was just hoping for a good workout to distract me. And in my life, I've taken yoga throughout college. Um, 
and even when I was a kid and I mean, I would just do it here and there, but this was my first time going to a studio and I loved it. It was challenging. I did not, you know, I'm, it was like, you know, I'm not super flexible and I just, you know, I'm not like, wasn't like super good at it, but it, it was empowering and it's also relaxing and freeing. So I just like this combination of like hard work. And then also the words that the instructor would say felt you make you, made you feel really empowered. And then at the end, you just relax and you leave. I left feeling like I was high, like on drugs or something. <laughs> so it was it, that this was like another step in my healing process. And sometimes there's, I've heard people make fun of the idea of yoga where it's like, oh, like, you know, I'm, I have a mental illness and people just tell me to do yoga. Like, it's like not helpful, but honestly, like maybe not, maybe not everyone, you know, not yoga may not be for every single person, but for me, it was a lifesaver. Like it was a big deal. It really, really saved my life and healed me um, with every single class. And the instructor slowly walked us through moves and told us, you know, stay present. And she would say, show up on your mat with no judgment or expectations. And I took those words to heart and I expanded all these ideas that I would use in yoga to my daily life. And I began just going to class three to four days a week. And not only did I look forward to each class, but when I would go to work, I would hear my instructor's voice telling me no judgment, no expectation on yourself. And so I, you know, it helped me have like compassion on myself and be like, it's okay. You're grieving, but your work is hard and you're okay. You're doing the best you can. And the overwhelming fog I was dealing with started to get thinner and I can be present and I was able to start lesson planning with intention. And I began really seeing my students more clearly. And I even started having like parties with the kids like um, on Fridays to celebrate the kids that were really, you know, putting the effort in. And I started really like enjoying my job as much as I could. It was still stressful, but I really like, I felt like yoga took me from like a, from like a four and a half to a 10 or maybe not a 10, maybe like an eight and a half. <laughs> that's more, that's more accurate. And it was crazy how much it helped me. Like that was like the most healing decision I could have made. And I actually was like finding a little bit of joy in my chaos because of yoga. And then one day during yoga, I was watching my instructor and I was like so inspired how she calmly guided us through the moves. And like, she really had no idea how much the, her classes were changing my life. But it's obvious that she cared about it because it inspired her to teach it. And in that moment, I knew I wanted to teach yoga someday. I also knew it would take me out of my comfort zone. And I was like, I don't know if I can do that. Like I really doubted myself, but I came across um, a Facebook ad about yoga teacher training for educators called breathe for change. And every time I look at the website, I kept looking back at it and I kept making excuses why I shouldn't do it. Oh, it'll be too hard. I can't afford it. I'm not a good leader. You know, all these, I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm good enough. I can't do a handstand. Finally, I just applied for a scholarship, a partial scholarship, and decided that if I got this, this scholarship, I would go. A few days later, I get a call, and they offered me $500 off, off my tuition, and I, I accepted, and I, I used money that my mom gave me, uh, left me when she passed, and I found out that you know, I was in, during this time I was moving into my boyfriend's apartment and I found out the program was an 18 day program and it was only 10 minutes away from my boyfriend's apartment in Pasadena. So it was just perfect. And the program changed my life, 18, 11 hour days. And I met some amazing people. I learned so much about yoga and meditation and looking back, 
I think of that moment in class where I doubted that I could ever teach yoga. And now, I mean, I've only, what's interesting about this is that now that's what my job is. I teach yoga online to teenagers. So it's really helped me have, um, you know, some income during this time, but I haven't taught in a studio yet. But before the pandemic, I applied to work at a studio and I actually got the job. And I remember back to that moment, just doubting myself in class, thinking, oh, I can never teach yoga. But then, you know, I felt my mom really inspired me and pushed me to do it. And I now feel so proud that I was able to overcome those fears. And through my grief, I was able to really accomplish a goal that I didn't even think I could do. And I know the pain of losing my mom will never go away. But I feel healing in those parts of my heart where I miss her. I feel a lot of healing, but it's a continual, it's a continual need for healing. It doesn't, it's not just completely healed. My mom is still with me every day, inspiring me to live a life with the kind of love that she, that she showed me. And I know that there will be more chaos and challenges in life, but I also know I now have the tools to adjust and breathe through the pain. And looking back, I see that my anxiety began with the grief of losing my mom. It continued because of my stressful job. But my anxiety also brought me to yoga. And my yoga classes led me to becoming a teacher. And I'm so grateful for my mom for being with me and guiding me to continue going after my dreams. And anxiety and grief fucking suck. Like they're terrible. But I'm grateful that the pain led me to yoga. And I'm grateful that yoga has taught me taught me that I can change from within. Like it's I can change myself from within and reconnect with myself. So there's many lessons I learned through the grief I experienced losing my mom. And we all experience grief at some point in our life. So I just want to share those lessons with you. The first one is never rush the grieving process. If anyone ever tells you to, you know, get over it or they shame you for still feeling depressed, they're an asshole. Like, don't listen to them because you can take the time you need to grieve. There's no timeline. You can, you're still going to be grieving in 10 years. So I've heard people say, oh, it's been a year. That should be enough time. No, like you don't need to rush it. The second thing I learned is that you need to cry. Now I know not everyone is as emotional as me. I'm pretty emotional. So, I mean, if you don't express yourself through tears, that's okay. Like find a way to express your emotion. But for me, I just, every time I was overwhelmed with emotion and I cried, I had a really, really good cry. It would feel therapeutic. So if you need to cry, if you feel the tears coming, even if you're not one to cry over lots of things like, you know, even if your emotional um, capacity isn't the same as mine, if you feel the tears coming, just let them out. Because if you, if you really suppress them, it's just, it's not good for your soul or your mind, because obviously if you need to let them out, just cry, let them out. And it's, it's like the way that our body expels of our emotions. So just cry if you need to. If you don't feel like you need to, then find a way to express your emotions, whatever that is for you. There's no right way. So if you need to write down how you're feeling or talk to somebody about how you're feeling or whatever feels good for you, you know, maybe painting or art or playing a sport, like for you, how you express yourself is going to be different than me. So if you, if you don't want to cry, express yourself 
so you can get those emotions out. The next thing I learned is it's important to move your body. Now, for me, it was yoga, but I don't believe, you know, I can tell everyone they need to go out and do yoga because, I mean, everyone has different needs. But honestly, yoga, if you did yoga, it would work. It works It works because it's like a, it works with your mind. And when you change your, the way you think and you try to stay present and you breathe, it's like science. It does help. But if yoga isn't your thing, that's okay. For me, it was a lifesaver. But, you know, you can do what feels right for you. If you need to go running, go for a walk, try kickboxing, do what makes you feel good in your body. Because sometimes when we have grief, it really weighs our body down. And moving your body helps you focus on something else and allows you to get those emotions out. So there's not a perfect way to heal from the loss of somebody. So, but it is important to move your body. It's like a scientific thing that when we exercise, when we move, we get endorphins that make us feel better. Our body is self-healing, but sometimes we're just not sure what that looks like. So for you, you know, kind of just figure out what that is for you. My next lesson that I learned is see a therapist. Maybe you've never seen a therapist before, but you're in a new territory. If you've lost somebody, you have never lost that person before. You're living a new life without that person. And it's okay to need help figuring out what those emotions mean for you, what to do with them. So I highly recommend seeing a therapist because when I was processing my grief and I'm still processing it, my therapist helps me all the time because I'm hard on myself. And my therapist reminds me, it's okay. You lost somebody. You could feel this way and you don't need to feel like shit about it. So it's important to see someone that has an outside perspective. My next advice is to surround yourself with what you need. So what I mean by that is like, for me, what I needed was positivity. Now I'm really against uh, toxic positivity where you just need to be happy all the time. There's no pressure for you to feel happy, especially when you're grieving. But like, what does your soul need? What kind of encouragement do you need? So like, I would put like a picture of a positive saying on my phone as my screensaver. So I constantly look down and see, oh, positive affirmation. Like if I'm feeling like shit and like hopeless, I can look at my phone and think, oh, okay. It says stay strong. And I'm like, okay. I just say the words, even if I don't feel it. So whatever you need in that moment, think about what you need, whether it's positive music or maybe sad music. Some people like to listen to sad music when they're sad. Um, maybe you need to listen to a podcast about grief or um, a, read a book about grief or, you know, so surround yourself with things you need. Make, make a list of things that help you feel better and put them in your life because things that make you feel better, even if they don't work right away because grief makes you lose interest in many things, just try to keep doing the things that you know you need and that you like. My next piece of advice or what I learned anyways is guided meditation, which I had already mentioned before the app vaporized your grief. No, I'm not trying to sell anything because it's not anything I'm affiliated with, but it's, and it's free. So that really helped me. So it doesn't hurt to try, but if you, you know, if you can't find that app or if that app doesn't work for you, you can find guided meditations anywhere, YouTube, um, you know, iTunes, um, many websites that you can just look up guided meditation, Google it and like something will come up. And I know there's many out there specifically for grief. So those are helpful because it's hard to know how to organize our mind. And if we're told by someone else guiding, someone else is guiding us, it helps us just listen and try to think about what they're telling you 
and it really just lets you let go of, con of the control and heal. Another thing I learned is to accept your emotions. Sometimes it's easy for us to feel a certain way and then think, oh, I need to stop feeling that way. I just need to stop and get frustrated and, and judge ourselves. Maybe it's been a couple years since you lost someone and you're still feeling a certain way and you just feel shame about it or you feel like, annoyed with it or you're just like, come on, snap out of it. That doesn't help. Just say, oh, I feel, I feel sad today. So you know what? I'm going to call into work and I'm going to cry. I'm going to be sad all day. Like put it on your schedule. Like, oh, hey, in two weeks from now, I'm going to be sad all day because it's okay to accept how you feel because adding shame or guilt to that doesn't help. My next, the next thing that I learned is to just focus on one step at a time. There's a lot to figure out in life. There's a lot to figure out when you're losing, you lost someone and then you have, you know, life to take care of. Just focus on one step at a time and try not to think about everything at once. Just think, okay, how can I survive today? What do I need to do right now? Not tomorrow, not next week, right now. What do I need right now? Because if we start thinking too far ahead, it's just too much to take on. Another thing I learned is it's helpful to have a memory journal or scrapbook or any way to remember them. Because I, I believe that it should be whatever feels good for you. For me, I was dealing, I'm, I still deal with a lot of residual, like random anxiety that sometimes I don't know where it's coming from. And so if I feel it, I'm like, you know, I think it might be coming from missing my mom. I'm going to just go ahead and do a, go in my journal and like put in some pictures that I, I have some pictures I ordered online. There's apps where you can order pictures for really cheap, a couple bucks. You can get like a whole stack of pictures from your Facebook, cut them out, put them in a journal, write down the memory, cry, you know, feel the emotions and my anxiety will go away for a while. So find a way to just remember your life with that person, whatever that looks like for you. And my last piece of advice is to protect your energy. And when I say that, I mean like boundaries. If someone's trying to tell you to do something or, you know, I don't know, pressuring you to like grieve a certain way or whatever someone's, you know, do what feels good for you. So protect your energy. Don't allow people to tell you what to do, tell you how to feel, pressure you in any way. Take your energy in and say, this is my energy. And I can grieve how I want. So protect your energy. And maybe if you need to seclude yourself, do that. Or maybe you're the kind of person that needs to go out. Either one. Like you decide what you want to do with your energy. And don't let anyone tell you what to do besides yourself. You know what you need. And it might take time. Or, you know, it might take a lot of different tools to figure out what you need and how to do that, but it really helps. So you're not putting your energy in places that are just going to drain you and leave you even more sad and depleted because it takes a lot of energy just to be grieving. And that's it. It takes a lot. You can find the show notes and any resources on wordsbybrandy.com. I have a Facebook page as well titled A Curious State of Mind if you'd like to follow me there. My personal Instagram is laughing underscore mystic. My witchy Instagram is modern underscore mystic underscore tarot. And I also have a yoga account called rad double underscore yoga. Our intro music was done by Darden Productions, which you can find on SoundCloud. And if you'd like to support this podcast and get some cool perks, go to patreon.com and look for A Curious State of Mind. We'll have options um, on how much you'd like to donate per month, and I would love your help. Also, I would really appreciate if you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Five stars would be amazing. And just a few words 
about your thoughts on the show. Thank you. If you're grieving a loss, get curious and know that you have the tools to find healing. It's fucking hard. There's no way around the fact that grieving sucks, but getting curious about your pain is a way to healing.